Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Around the year 586 B.C., Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians, the, the country, that God's chosen people, the, the Jews living in Judah and Jerusalem. They were conquered by the Babylonians. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And the Jewish people were cast into exile. First, they were captives to the Babylonians, and then the Persians, uh, over, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and so they became captives to the Persians. The book of Ezekiel helps us understand what happened and why. Uh, Ezekiel begins his book with this uh, image of the glory of God pick, packing up and leaving the temple. So Ezekiel tells us that because of Israel's sin, because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, because they had rejected God and rebelled against him time after time after time, year after year after year, eventually God removed his presence from Israel, removed his presence from the temple, and, and just left and, and because of that, Jerusalem was destroyed. So Ezekiel tells us that it's because of God's, because God's people had been unfaithful. They were, they were experiencing judgment for that. And then Ezekiel's book ends with another vision, this prophecy that in the coming days, sometime down the road, God would return to Jerusalem, would return to the temple, and he would dwell there once again. He would restore right worship to Jerusalem, and, and the temple would be restored to a glory that even surpassed the former glory. A day would come when God would make all things new. So after 70 years of exile, Israel's fortunes began to change. Cyrus, who was the king of the Persians, allowed a relatively small group of Jews to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. And you can read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it looked like the promises at the end of Ezekiel were going to be fulfilled. They, God's people had returned to Jerusalem. They'd rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the temple. And that promise, the promise of God's return, became known, came to be known in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord, the day that the Lord would return. God's people waited for that day. They longed for that day. They prayed for that day. And so in Malachi's day, God's people were still waiting, and they had grown impatient and bitter toward God. Let's read this morning's passage, Malachi 2.17 through 3.5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? 
by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. In this passage, God shows us, we see Israel's complaint against God. First, we see Israel's complaint against God. Second, we see the ministry of the messenger whom God has sent. And then third, we see God's gracious plan to refine and restore his people. Verse 17, we see Israel's complaint. The, the Jews had hoped that the day of the Lord would come. They, they had hoped that it would come in their day. When the, when the Persian king Cyrus allowed this small group to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, they, they had hoped that when they did that, he would come. They said, it'll be different this time. Our fathers were unfaithful to the covenant, and, and because of that, they experienced God's wrath and his, his displeasure. But we will, we'll do better. We will follow the law this time, and the promised day of the Lord will come. That was their hope, and it hadn't happened. They were decades into their restoration project, and Jerusalem was still poor and weak, the temple was small. It was just a shadow of the previous temple that had been destroyed. And the worship at the temple was anticlimactic. It just wasn't going well. The Persians were still in charge. And not only that, but the neighboring nations, the, the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites, they were harassing Jerusalem. So things weren't going well for the Jews. And, and so they became bitter toward God. They questioned his faithfulness to them. And so we have two related statements in verse 17. First, they were saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. They looked at the pagan nations around them, the Persians and, and these other nations, who were, these nations were prospering. They seemed to be getting away with their sin getting away with their idolatry. They, they didn't know God, they didn't care about God, and yet it seemed like God was blessing them. It seemed like God was blessing the wicked and delighting in them when he should be blessing us and delighting in us as God's people. 
So to their mind, God was acting contrary to his word. He was blessing the wicked and forgetting the righteous. So they say, it seems like everyone that does evil is good to God. And God delights in the wicked people. And then there's the second follow-up question. Where is God? Where is the God of justice? How can this be happening? Why is he allowing this? Justice demands, in their minds, that God punishes them and lifts us up, blesses us. Why isn't he doing that? Where is he? If God would just come like he promised, then those miserable people would be wiped out they would get what they deserve, and we would get what we deserve, a.k.a. this nice, comfortable, cushy spot in God's restored kingdom. So where is God? Why isn't he doing that, was their question. Claiming to have a clear view of someone else's sin, someone else's wickedness, and then claiming to, or showing yourself to be ready to tell God what to do, that's really thin ice. That's a dangerous place for us to be. That was a dangerous place for the Jews in Malachi's day. When all of your problems are external, you may not have a clear grasp of all of your problems. If you look at your problems and think, if only other people would change, if only God would do this instead of that, boy, things would sure be better. If that's your attitude, if that's your thoughts, then the warning lights in your heart should be going off. Right? That's a dangerous place for us to be, and we've all been there. The problem's out there, the problem's with them, not with me. God needs to change his plan. He needs to go this way, not that way. That's where the Jews were in Malachi's day. And look at, look at God's response. First, he says, I will send my messenger. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. In Malachi 1, verse 1, uh, we, we read that this is the oracle of, of Malachi. This is the oracle of the messenger. The name Malachi in Hebrew means my messenger. So Malachi's very name sets him apart as who he is. He's a messenger from God. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, there's this play on words. Malachi again identifies himself. Behold, this is the word of the, this is God speaking. Behold, I send my messenger, that same Hebrew Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So God says, I am coming. You, you ask, where is the God of justice? Here's my message. I am coming, but before I come, I'm sending a messenger ahead of me to prepare you for the day of the Lord. You're asking for the day of the Lord to come, and I'm coming, but I'm sending my messenger first. And in Malachi's time, Malachi was that messenger. So Malachi was sent by God to the Jews in order to prepare them. And Malachi's message to them is the God of justice is indeed going to come and you need to fully grasp what that means. 
when he comes, yes, he will judge the nations out there, but he's also going to judge you. Are you really as ready as you think you are? This is the model for all of the Old Covenant prophets. All the prophets that we see in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the 12 minor prophets, their main role is as God's messengers. They've been sent by God to declare a message from God, to to tell God's people God is coming. God is going to be faithful to his promises. He will judge. And so get ready. Prepare for his coming. So again, Malachi himself is the messenger in his day, but there will come a time when another messenger will come to prepare the way of the Lord. The gospel writers take what Malachi says here in chapter 3, verse 1, and they apply it to John the Baptist. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So in verses 2 and 3, Mark quotes Isaiah and Malachi. He combines these two Old Testament passages, and he attributes them to Isaiah just because Isaiah was the more prominent of the two prophets, but you'll, you'll see Malachi 3 here. As it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, Malachi 3.1. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Mark and the other gospel writers, they looked at John the Baptist and they said, here's the messenger that was promised in the Old Testament. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Covenant prophets. All these other Old Covenant prophets, Old Testament prophets, they looked forward. They said, the day of the Lord is coming. The king is coming, and so be ready. And now we have John, and he says, the day of the Lord is here. The king is here, and so be ready. Malachi looked, and it was a few hundred years away. John looked, and he said, he's here today. So he's the last of the prophets in that sense. And look at what John's message is in verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John doesn't say, come on God's people, grab your popcorn, God is coming The king is here, and he's going to wipe out all those dirty pagans, and it's going to be a great show. So come come watch with me as God judges the nations. John's message to God's people is he's coming, he's here. You need to take a serious personal inventory and turn away from all of your sin. Don't worry about the nations. Look to your own heart. Look within You repent. You need to be baptized. You need to be washed clean of your sin. That's the message of the prophets. The Old Testament and the New Testament both, they're filled with warnings all over the place. There's these warnings. 
And it can be hard to read these sometimes, but we need, to, we need to recognize that these are fundamentally gracious warnings. Look at James 1, verses 21 through 25. So some of the men, of, men in the church, there were in uh, these men's small groups where we're reading through James together. Here's what James says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer, who, a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. A warning is a good thing if you need it. James tells us, receive the word with humility. Treat the word like a mirror for your soul. When God speaks to you through his word, it's a mirror that you're meant to hold up and look at yourself. A warning is a, is a good thing when you need it. I don't need a smoke detector to tell me that I'm a bad cook, right? I know that, right? Sometimes when I'm cooking, the smoke detector needs to come off the ceiling because it's going to go off, right? So it's annoying when the smoke detector goes off because you burned the food, but when the smoke detector goes off in the middle of the night because your house is on fire, that's a blessing. That's good news. You receive that warning and you act on it. You praise God for that smoke detector. In the same way, a mirror is a good thing if you have toothpaste on your face. Right? You want that mirror. You want to be able to see, oh my goodness, I have stuff on my face. I need to act before I go out. And so God's word is meant to be that mirror where we're supposed to look at ourselves and see, oh my, I'm in sin. I'm not walking in obedience. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And then we change. We do what he wants us to do. In, in his day, John called Israel to repent. Be baptized, repent, Malachi had the same call towards repentance. Let's look more closely at that call. This is the rest of the passage, the second half of verse 1 through, through verse 5. Here the messenger tells us God's plan. God's plan is to refine and restore his people. So the messenger is preparing the way, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The day of the Lord is going to come. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, that's God. God is coming, bringing his message of good news. He's, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And look at the change here in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. God says, I am coming, but be careful. Are you really as ready for me to come as you think you are? God is going to come 
and he's going, to in, he's going to judge and destroy the wicked, but he's also going to refine his people and restore them to where he wants them. You're familiar with a refiner's fire, right? They take this ore, they take this raw material that has gold or silver in it, but it's full of impurities, and so they melt that ore down, and they burn up everything that's not silver, everything that's not gold. You, you melt it so that you can scrape away the impurities and get rid of it. And a fuller's soap or a, a launderer's soap, same, same principle, right? So those of you who were born in the 30s, 40s, or 50s, think back, what, how many types of soap did your mom have? Just one. She had lye, right? I, my dad tells the story when he was a kid growing up on the farm. He did not like it when it was bath night, right? Because grandma would come at him with the bar of lye, which he said is essentially 60-grit sandpaper, right, that bubbles up a little bit, right? He would come at her, he, she would come at him and clean him, right? And he said, with the lye, by the time I was done, I was beet red because all that first layer of skin was gone, right? She scrubbed him until he was clean, right? The dirt's gone, so is that skin, but I guess he's clean, right? So he said, I hated bath night as a kid. And that's, that's what's happening here, right? God's coming at his people with the bar of lye soap. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you clean, right? So in, the, in this time, the launderers, they would scrub the cloth, they would scrub the, the dirty garment with this basically lye, this chemical. They would scrub it, and then they'd spread it out on a rock and beat it with a stick to get the stains out. That's what the laundry was in those, in those days, right? This is not a pleasant experience. The garment's clean, but... It's clean because it's been scrubbed and stretched out and beaten until it's clean, right? So that's, that's Malachi's word. The Lord is coming, but it's going to be like laundry day, and it's not going to feel pleasant in, in the moment. He, he means to get rid of the filth. And in verse 5, we see the, the stains, we see the impurities that God means to, to wipe out in Israel. Verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. In Malachi's day, the people were so worried about the, the wickedness that they saw around them. They looked at these nations, look at those pagans, they don't even know God. When's he going to come and judge them? And God said, look at your own lives. Look at what's present here in Jerusalem Look at this list of sins. Malachi warns God, warns that God will judge these people. What's striking is that these sins are present in Jerusalem among God's people. God's people are filled with sorcerers, adulterers, 
those who swear falsely, those who beat down the poor and oppress them. That's not happening out there. That's happening in here, Malachi says. And God's about to shine his spotlight on that. He's going to get rid of it. Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Right? When the Lord returns, he will return as this consuming fire. The wicked will be burned up. But we have to also recognize that the goal of a refiner's fire is not to destroy, but it's to purify. It makes me think of a show on Netflix that I found. It's called The Repair Shop. Maybe you've seen it. So it's this British show, which makes it already more interesting. You have to watch it with subtitles. Uh, The Repair Shop, the, the premise of the show is people come to this shop and they bring in their old, damaged, rusty, dilapidated items that are family heirlooms, things that are precious to them. So a lot of clocks, a lot of old toys, uh, paintings and sculptures, things like that. They, they bring them in and they're all damaged, but, but the, the owner still loves this item. And so they bring it to these experts and the experts carefully restore the items, fix what's broken. Two of the experts on the show, uh, these two women, are, uh, they repair stuffed animals. So people bring in these teddy bears, uh, puppies, things like that, these old teddy bears, 50, 75 years old, some even older. And these stuffed animals are in rough shape. They've been well-loved, they're barely recognizable, And these women painstakingly restore these stuffed animals. They take them apart, stitch by stitch. They carefully wash the fabric. They patch the holes. They restuff the animal, and then they carefully sew it back together. And when it's done, it's beautiful. It's just, it's so fun to see it restored. And invariably, the owners of these toys are just shocked and elated when they're reunited with their beloved childhood toy. They love the restoration. We have to see ourselves as God sees us. One of the themes in in Malachi is the fatherhood of God. God consistently refers to himself as Israel's father. So he loves them. He delights in them. He has adopted them as children. He has set them apart, but they're not a finished product. They're a mess in need of a complete overhaul. And it's the same for us. God God loves us. He adopts us. But he, he also wants to remake us. He also wants to fix what is broken. We see this in the second half of verse 3 and verse 4. This, what's God's goal in that refining fire? So he's, he says, he will refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then, after the refining, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. God is going to restore proper worship, proper devotion 
among his people. At present, God's people were a mess. Their offerings were not pleasing to God. They were offering right sacrifices with a wrong heart. And it was a weariness to God, not a delight. Only after God refines and purifies them will that right offering and worship be restored. God cares about his glory. He will work to enable his people to honor him like they should. God demands holiness from us. He says, you shall be holy as I am holy. That's the demand. If we want to be in God's presence, we need to be holy and pure. And so God makes us holy and pure. We don't make ourselves holy and pure. He does that refining work. He fulfills the demands in us that he has made. What Malachi couldn't see from his perspective that you and I see now from our perspective is that the day of the Lord was actually going to be two days. So first, the Lord came when Jesus was born at Christmas. When Jesus came in the flesh, that was the first coming of the Lord. Jesus came... But he didn't come to judge, he came to save. The first coming is the coming of salvation. Jesus comes to save his people. In the first day of the Lord, God's consuming fire actually fell upon his son. God himself bore the wrath reserved for his people so that they wouldn't have to completely, so that he wouldn't have to completely consume them. The first coming was a coming of grace. One more passage to look at, Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. This is a famous passage about marriage, uh, but look at how Paul talks about Jesus here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus' plan for his church is to cleanse and purify her so that she can be a pure and spotless bride. Right now, she's not. You are not a pure, spotless Christian. You are not without blemish. I am not without blemish. I am not pure and spotless. We are in process. We are in the process of being washed clean, purified, refined. And it can be a painful process. There's a lot of scrubbing to do in your heart and in my heart and in our church. But the one doing the scrubbing is the loving husband who has given himself up for us. We are being washed, but we're being washed in Jesus' blood. And so we know he loves us. We know that his washing is purposeful in us. 
And the thing that matters is, how do you receive that? How do you receive these warnings? How do you receive this diagnosis from Jesus about your need to be scrubbed? Do you push back or do you receive that and say, yes, do it. Make me clean so that I can be with you. I want to end this way. 2020 has been a rough year. Uh, I saw someone did a Yelp review for 2020, and they said, zero stars, would not recommend. Right? That's everyone's assessment of 2020. Don't go there. It's not worth it. The temptation this year is to look around and see all the brokenness, see all the evil, see how messed up the world is, see how messed up everyone else is, and then just grow frustrated or cold toward God. What are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? Why am I going through this this year? And instead, let's work to allow God to shine that spotlight in our hearts. Let's, let's let the messiness of 2020 be a refining fire for us. Let's listen to God in 2020. Let's allow God to take us apart where we are broken and messy. Let's allow him to wash us, to patch us up, to repair us, to put us back together. Let's do this as individuals. Let's let God work on our hearts. Let's do this as families. Let's look look, look at our families and say, okay, God, what do you need to do in this family? And then here as a church, okay, God, what are you doing at Oak Hill? What do you want to refine? What do you want to purify? What do you want to make clean in us? Do it. We want to be obedient. Let's pray. Father, we want to be washed clean. Through Christ, we have already been made clean, in a sense. We have already been justified. We stand before you, adopted as your children. You've already received us and love us. And And yet we confess that there's an ongoing work that Jesus is doing, that Jesus is continuing to make us new. He's continuing to purify us and prepare us to be with him. And so, Lord, help us to receive that purification. Help us to receive that refiner's fire, knowing that we are being made fit for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.